Claire and her husband Mervyn uh, run Streams of Hope at the church, which is a, an amazing mix of um, courses and individual prayer and emotional healing and uh, just an incredible. So look up on uh, online for Streams of Hope. But we just want to pray for you this morning. We're going to be running a little mini series of People of Faith, and um, Claire's going to be talking about Ruth this morning. Um, so I'm just going to pray for you before we start. Lord, we just thank you for Claire. Lord, thank you for the word that you've given her this morning. Lord, we pray that you will be uh, here speaking through her. As I said at the beginning, Lord, it's no coincidence that everybody in this uh, church this morning is here. I pray that you will be speaking to people individually through this. Lord, whatever the words that you have for us, can you speak them through, Claire? And Lord, may she be open to what you have to say to us this morning. Lord, we just pray for her now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andy. And good morning, everyone. It's great to be here. And it's lovely uh, to be able to share this morning, and particularly on this whole subject of uh, multiplying faith. It's the start of a new series. We've just finished a series on the kingdom of God, and we're now starting a new series on people of faith in the Bible. And I was delighted when I was given the subject of Ruth because I've always loved Ruth as a book in the Bible. And uh, it was, it's been a great joy for me to dive into it and to dig around a bit more and find out more what was going on behind the scenes in the whole book of Ruth. Essentially, um, ne- oh, sorry, I've forgotten I'm doing the slides. Right. Um, The book of Ruth is essentially in four chapters and a little over 80 verses, a love story of hope and redemption. It's the most beautiful, beautiful love story. It's like the best of Jane Austen or Charles Dickens. It's got a bit of a touch of EastEnders in parts. (laughs) And it's also got a a taste of Shakespeare as well. All in this amazing book with just four chapters. If you've not read it, you will easily read it in one sitting. It's not too long, so I, I would really encourage you to do it. But I wanted to give you an overview of the whole book for those of you who've not been able to read it. Um, But I found this amazing cartoon from the Bible Project that does it far better than I could in just seven minutes. So if you just will watch for seven minutes this cartoon, it will tell you um, the whole overview of the book of Ruth. I could not have put that any better. I love the way they narrate it. And it just so happened, and it just so happened. In other words, nothing was by coincidence. God was behind the whole thing. There are just some interesting facts that they don't mention. Uh, One is that Boaz was the son of Rahab. And Rahab was one of five women who were in the genealogical line of the Messiah. Usually it's only men who are mentioned, but there are five women. And uh, Rahab was one of them. 
Rahab, like Ruth, was not uh, an Israelite at all. She was from a pagan background and culture. And she got married into the Jewish line, and her son was Boaz. So Boaz had already had an experience of a mother who was not from the tribe of Judah, which is interesting, I think. And as a result of that, when he saw Ruth, and she was from a foreign land, he didn't have the reaction that many people would have done. I just love it, the way God uh, winds all these things in together. The fact that Ruth was a Moabitess meant she came from a culture whereby they worshipped titles and they practiced child and adult sacrifice. So it's like the equivalent of a woman who'd grown up in ISIS or in the Taliban or something. You know, it had that connotation. It was, she had come from an evil background where terrible things happened to children and to adults as well. And that um, idolatry was practiced. So all this was not great news for Ruth when she made the pledge to Naomi that she was going to follow her back to Bethlehem. And uh, Naomi was going back, not an easy woman to be with. She was going back calling herself bitter, okay, from all the events that had happened. But these verses, um, this is the Shakespeare bit, because these are some of the most beautiful verses in Scripture, and this is how Ruth, we call it the great cling, some of the commentators have said. It wasn't just an ordinary, I want to go with you. This was like, I'm going with you and I'm not going to change my mind. And she said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She'd made a choice to leave her idolatrous background and to go to follow um, Naomi's God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, this is loyalty off the planet. This is a kind of loyalty that a husband and wife pledged to each other, uh, saying their marriage vows. But she was doing this to her mother-in-law. So she, there was something about Ruth that she had, and I'm sure she may not have known it at, at the time, that God was building something in her character not only of loyalty, but of great faith to leave her land, her people, everything she'd ever known, and to pledge herself to a mother-in-law who wasn't going to be easy to live with and to go to Bethlehem, a foreign land. She had no idea she would be a refugee. She had no idea of what the reception would be when she went and as I was preparing this, I was thinking about the family dynamics were very complex. 
you know, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law uh, traditionally are not known to be always the easiest of relationships. But this was something Ruth decided to do, even though Naomi had been left bereft. And as Naomi pointed out uh, to Ruth, there was no hope of any further heirs. She was too old to remarry and have children so that she could have another husband. And she returned to Bethlehem empty and bitter, wanting to be called Mara. But the wonderful thing is, in this beautiful book, that out of all this trauma, tragedy, a mess, because it was a mess, um, God was at work, and God brought about a wonderful redemption plan. Not only just any redemption plan, but something that was going to include Jesus at the end of the day. And I felt as I was preparing it, I felt the Lord just burden me with this whole area of family dynamics. Very common term. It's a modern term, isn't it? We often talk about family dynamics. Soap operas are full of the most complex, unbelievable family dynamics. And it's supposed to represent modern life. In many ways, it does. They're not always straightforward. But I just felt the Lord wanted to speak perhaps to some people here whose family dynamics for whatever reason, are complex, are messy, are difficult. Perhaps you've lost hope in them. Maybe it's a family member who's gone away from the Lord. Maybe it's been a marriage breakup. Maybe there's been death in the family and it's changed the whole dynamics. Maybe there's been sickness that has come in and everything's changed. Whatever it may be, there are many reasons why we can get pain in our family dynamics. But I just felt the Lord wanted to say that I can transform that. And in the process, I can transform you. So I just put that out there, that speaking to any of you, that's fine. Just sit with it. And if you feel you would like to have prayer for that at the end, we will be delighted to offer it. But let's have a look at Ruth's character. There was something about her character that was changing her into this amazing woman of faith. One was her persistence. She persisted uh, in insisting that she was going back with Naomi. And Naomi was trying to say, no, you know, I'm not a good person to come with. You stay in your own land where it's familiar. But the call of God was on Ruth's life and she wouldn't take no for an answer. And again, I, I, I just felt, um, I wondered if any of us have, give, have taken no for an answer. Because there's something about persisting in prayer, in hope, for situations, and there are times when we want to say, I've given up. I've lost hope here. And I feel there's an encouragement in there that if we persist in prayer, God will answer those prayers. 
that there's lots of stories in the New Testament and in the Old where people hung on against the odds and God's answer came through. I think of Joseph, you know, and how all the dreams and visions God had given him at the start. And then the whole of his life just went from bad to worse. He was betrayed, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape. He was put in prison for about 13 years, I think. He was forgotten about and left in there. And yet God was at work in all of that. You know, he must have been the first one to say, I must have got it all wrong. You know, look at what's happened with my life. And yet at the end, when there was famine in the land, and he was raised up because of his interpretation of dreams to um, sit alongside Pharaoh, he was able to welcome his family back eventually. And all of his dreams, all of the visions God had given him absolutely came true. And the family dynamics which had been torn apart got restored and got redeemed. And it wasn't wasted. And in it, Joseph had been transformed. So sometimes God's time is not our time. Sometimes we have to wait to see. But there's something about Ruth persisting that was really uh, vital in this whole thing. And there was the power of God behind her because he had a purpose and a plan for her. The other thing is her loyalty. You don't hear loyalty mentioned as a word, do you? It seems almost quite old-fashioned when I say it. Loyalty isn't a, a sort of quality we talk about a lot these days. And yet it's a beautiful quality. She was loyal to her mother-in-law, and she wasn't going to change her mind. Is there something in our lives where we need to be loyal to someone, where we need to stand by them and support them? Or is there an area where people who were loyal to you no longer are, and that can leave a great wound, a great wound? Her humility, Ruth didn't come back with Naomi thinking, oh, look at me, you know, here I am, Ruth, I've come to make a new life here. Not at all. She would have come back really, really uncertain of the kind of welcome she was going to get, particularly because of her background. It made me think about people who seek refuge here, you know, how hard it can be. And it, it makes you realize how much God will welcome the stranger, the outcast. Nobody is beyond his care and his love. And her humility is what stands out through the story. She always, it's almost like her and Naomi colluded together to form a plan as to how they were going to fulfill um, something good out of the whole thing. But she was obedient to what she was told to do. She didn't push with her own agenda. And she had wisdom. She had real wisdom. She had wisdom when it came to speaking to Boaz about um, 
you know, why she was there, and almost declaring in quite an outrageous way, you know, I'm here, I'm available, will you marry me? You know, that takes great courage, and it took wisdom to know the timing of him. So she, she turned out that through all the things that were going on behind the scenes, she was being changed by God into a woman who was going to be part of the destiny um, of the, the Messiah. The whole concept of the kinsman redeemer, which comes out through the story, which is a beautiful concept because it mirrors what Jesus has done for us, was that Boaz was a type of Christ. In other words, the whole way Boaz behaved in the story, the way he looked at Ruth, he showed her favor, he showed her kindness, he was generous to her. He, um, it, he mirrors very much what Jesus does when he redeemed us. The transaction that he needed to perform in order to marry Ruth, it's called a goel. And it's a law in the Levitical law that if a woman is left widowed and cannot provide heirs, that the brother or some family relative pledges to marry her so that she is not left without a family line. And it was God's way of providing for widows. And also that they would uh, buy back tribal land if it was needed and also avenge the blood of any relative. That wasn't applicable in this case. But it was a way God provided in the law that widows would not be left bereft and without help. And so Boaz was doing that, and as we as we he was willing to pledge himself to Ruth and to go through all the um, different things necessary to do that. So he was a type of Christ. He showed favor to Ruth. He protected her. He saw the gold in her. The thing that impressed Boaz about Ruth was that she was loyal to Naomi. There was something in that that spoke to him about her character and that she was a woman of outstanding character. And because of that, he wanted to redeem her. He wanted to marry her. And not only that, he persisted in the process where this relative who had first rights, he had to go and ask permission and because a relative wanted the land but did not want Ruth because she was a Moabitess, meant that um, Boaz could then marry her. So he went through the process of what was necessary by the law. And then they had this complicated thing where they exchanged shoes to say it was a pledge, it was done. Uh, I'm not, nobody seems to know really why it was a shoe, but that, that was uh, what was necessary. And the consequences were the marriage and the birth of Obed, who was in the line of David. 
So Ruth was the great-grandmother, I think that's right, of David. And of course, David was in the family line of the Messiah. And so she became a very key woman to carry on the Messianic line. And of course, there was great rejoicing because uh, for Naomi, that meant she had the promise of her line being continued and she also had the privilege of being involved in the care of her grandchild. So it's this lovely story with a happy end. And Charles Spurgeon, a very famous preacher from early last century, he said, Jesus is our glorious Boaz. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is just like Boaz who redeemed Ruth. Jesus is our glorious Boaz. Because in a way, Ruth is like a picture of humanity. And God took a pagan Gentile woman who came from a culture that did not know God. She was widowed, she was destitute and probably hopeless, but he picked her out of that background, out of that culture. And when she asked, Bo, just like Ruth asked Boaz to redeem her, we can ask Jesus for that redemption too. And I think what the story of Ruth does, it does many things. There's many interesting facts and qualities in it. But it's saying no matter what your past has been, there is always hope. And that God does reach out to all. The outcasts, the foreigner, the abandoned, for those who've messed up, God reaches out to all. And God uses and works through everyday things, everyday circumstances, to bring about his purposes. And even though those circumstances in the story of Ruth were tragic, he still worked it together good and I hope that brings hope into into our lives that even when we're going through the most difficult complex circumstances that God can take it and bring hope if we surrender it to him and life isn't always easy we've all been impacted by trauma tragedy illness complex relationships you know, many would say that's life, and it is life. But when it hits you, it can keep you in a place of fear, of hopelessness, of wondering if you're ever going to make it through. And yet God has said he will provide. He will never, ever leave us or forsake us. And his eyes particularly on those who have been abandoned who have been hurt by life. He longs to bring us into that sense of family, that sense of healing.
And when we look at uh, Jesus as our Redeemer and how Jesus came and redeemed us and what he did for us, there's a couple of verses that I'd like us to reflect on that speak about our redemption. And then it's sometimes it's just good to remind ourselves what Jesus, what the lengths were that Jesus went to to redeem us and call us back. But are there areas of our lives that still need that touch of redemption? Maybe there's someone here today who hasn't known Jesus' love and mercy and how much he wants to redeem your life and bring hope and healing. If that's you, we'd love to pray with you. So please do let yourself be known at the end. The first verse is 1 Peter 1, 18-19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by our forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The way Jesus redeemed us and brought us back into a relationship with him was by shedding his own blood for us. That was the price he paid to buy us back into relationship with himself. And that is amazing. And out of that, we are so grateful. And then 1 Peter 2, verse 24 to 25 He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. For we were like sheep going astray. But you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That sense of returning to the overseer of your, your, your souls and of Jesus being that wonderful, good shepherd. And it's a very interesting picture of Jesus, our Redeemer, the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, you know, the sheep hear his voice and they know him. And even if you're a sheep that's wandered off, you know, there's a parable of the lost sheep how the shepherd will go and search for that lost sheep until he finds it. So if there's a sense that you've wandered off, you've got lost along the way, I want you to know that Jesus is always looking out for you, always wants to rescue you and to bring you back because that's his desire. So I'd like us just to sit and reflect a little bit and let's ask the Lord to speak to you and David is going to come up Michael sorry is going to come up and play that beautiful chorus there is a redeemer Jesus God's own son now I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to come and if you sense that God is speaking to you about anything that's come up through the story is there anything in your family you particularly like prayer for? 
or if there's anything in your own life personally you'd like to have prayer for, we will be delighted to pray for you. And if you want to come forward at the end, or if you just want to sit quietly and just put a hand up or indicate that you would like prayer and those around you can pray, whatever feels right for you. But we would love to give you the opportunity of meeting that wonderful Redeemer, for him to touch your life afresh. So, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you. You are that wonderful Redeemer. You love us with an everlasting love. And you want to bring hope and redemption into our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are that amazing Saviour. You have done it all, Lord, for us. Because you loved us, you came and you bled and died. We are so, so grateful. And Lord, I pray you bring fresh hope today. Help us to receive your love at a deeper level. Let us know your peace, your forgiveness, your healing, your joy.